name is Casey and this is Becoming Europe, a podcast where I delve into the real-life impacts of European migration policy. Today's episode is neither an update nor an unpacking the lingo nor an interview, but exists somewhere in between. Today's episode centers around the double standard of contemporary migration and asks the question, who gets to be a migrant? Who gets to be a refugee? Why? Where does this standard come from? This question could take several episodes to answer, so today we're going to only specifically look at the contemporary example that is Ukrainian refugees and Afghan refugees, focusing on France and Poland specifically. Today, we will break down the circumstances around Ukrainian and Afghan refugees, the current statistics, the reception by France and by Poland, and finally, where this double standard comes from and what we as a society do with it. So enjoy. To start with the circumstances, understandably, both the events in Afghanistan and Ukraine are ongoing and always changing, but this is kind of a cheat sheet recap of the past couple years. So starting with Afghanistan, on August 15th, 2021, Afghanistan's capital, Kabul, was captured by the Taliban shortly after the start of the U.S. troops withdrawing from the country. This led to the overthrowing of Ashraf Ghani, the president at the time, and marked the reinstatement of the Taliban as the ruling party of Afghanistan. While the rest of the world watched Afghanistan crumble with millions of people attempting to flee, U.S. President Joe Biden admitted that what was occurring, quote, unfolded more quickly than anticipated, end quote. Currently, the Taliban have enforced Islamic law. Women are no longer allowed to go to school. They have recently even been banned from gyms and parks and fun fairs. Not only that, but according to the Council on Foreign Relations, more than 90% of the population in Afghanistan are suffering from some kind of food insecurity. We will get to the response from France and Poland later in the episode, but to give some kind of base statistic to go off of, Afghanistan holds the third largest group of refugees after Syria and Venezuela, according to the UNHCR, which is the UN Refugee Agency. And what that means is basically they are the country that has the third largest group of refugees, aka people who are seeking asylum in a second country that is not their own. As of 2022 so far, there are 2.2 million refugees and asylum seekers, 26% of whom are women, and 50% children, along with 3.8 million IDPs, internally displaced people. Moving to Ukraine, on February 24th of 2022, which is insane that this started this year, feels like forever ago, Russia deployed military in Ukraine with bombs and shelling targeting homes and civilian infrastructure, and those bombs and shelling is just continuing today. This led to more than 7 million people fleeing borders to seek safety. With public infrastructure damaged, many people were left without water, heat, and electricity. Some people can't reach stores to get necessities because of road and bridge damage from the shellings and the bombings. As of November 8th, 2022, 7.8 million Ukrainian refugees were registered across Europe, with the majority residing in Poland. Now to get to the reception by France and Poland. To give specific statistics, as of November 8th, 2022, Poland has 1,489,155 Ukrainian refugees, and France has 118,994. On the other hand, Poland has received 7,700 applications in 2021 from Afghan and Belarusian refugees, with 1,300 to 1,500 Afghan refugees specifically being welcomed in August of 2021. For France, 12,488 Afghan refugees applied for asylum in 2021, with only 4,611 being accepted, making the acceptance rate 52.9%. Now let's dive into how the countries portrayed their acceptance of these refugee groups, because we can obviously see some kind of inequality taking place. 
Starting with France, it is not the most encouraging to see their rate of accepting uh, Afghan refugees compared to Ukrainian refugees. However, to break down France's response to both refugee groups, when Kabul was captured by the Taliban, French President Emmanuel Macron was quoted saying, We must anticipate and protect ourselves against irregular migratory flows that would endanger the migrants and risk encouraging trafficking of all kinds. End quote. While also saying that France will continue to do, quote, its duty to protect those who are most under threat in Afghanistan, end quote. On paper, this seems to be a rather fitting response. He states that France will help Afghan refugees, but will anticipate the influx of migrants coming to France. However, the use of the phrase protect ourselves paints a different image of acceptance. Not only that, but Macron cites that an influx of migration leads to an influx in human trafficking, a statistic that has only ever been phrased as, quote, possibly posing an increase, end quote. According to the Migration Policy Institute, quote, many countries mix data relating to Uh, to trafficking, smuggling, and irregular migration, meaning that figures are often little more than estimates, end quote. So people just kind of mix all of these statistics together to the point that, yes, migration could cause some kind of event to incur, some influx to occur with trafficking, but there is no proof. Despite the apprehension held against welcoming Afghan refugees, France seemed ready and willing to accept any number of Ukrainian refugees to the point that Macron condemned the UK for their lack of response. Additionally, there is a new reception center in Paris only for Ukrainian refugees that includes two gymnasiums along with day centers, humanitarian centers, and a virtual house to help students and scholars. From these actions alone, we see a double standard forming, if not already effective, in place. Moving to Poland, a nation that has statistically been welcoming at least a million Ukrainian refugees. On November 25th, 2021, Polish Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki, and I apologize if I butchered that, French is my strong suit with Arabic kind of behind it, Um, so I apologize if that was just a complete butchering, but I, I tried my best. Uh, He stated that flights of migrants from the Middle East to Belarus have stopped, stating, quote, Today, it is a closed path. However, we are afraid that the next step will be inviting migrants, refugees from Afghanistan, end quote. Not only that, but many Afghan refugees were held at the border of Poland, and those who were airlifted to Poland were left with the asylum process. On the other hand, Polish parliament created a special law that allowed Ukrainian citizens and their families equal access to the Polish labor market, health care, and education. So... Clearly, difference in reception. To move to the double standard, given the statistics in these examples, the double standard is clear. Across the board with these two countries, with many other European countries fitting the same agenda, it is plain to see that Ukrainian refugees experience more immediate and welcoming aid than the Afghan refugees. However, this double standard does not only exist in hypocritical statements and statistics. Many news sources and refugee organizations have noted this double standard. For example, Amnesty International has accused France of having this double standard regarding its treatment of refugees. In an article by the organization InfoMigrants, they cite this claim by Amnesty International and back it up with the French government putting a program in place to welcome, quote, at least 100,000, end quote, Ukrainians, and yet gave a speech a few months prior stating that France needs to protect itself from irregular migration flows. So you see how in the same breath they say, we will be super, super welcoming to this population, but we should beware of people coming from a different location. 
Nathalie Godard, a director for Amnesty International France, was quoted saying, What we have been seeing over the past few weeks clashes particularly with the way authorities spoke about Afghans. For Poland, Felipe González Morales, a UN expert on the human rights of migrants, has given his own criticism stating that there are unaccompanied children in refugee camps, the same camps that hold no Ukrainian refugees. Additionally, Poland has signed on a new law that would allow them to, quote, immediately push back migrants who are apprehended while trying to cross the Polish border outside official crossings, end quote, and restrict the ability of those who are apprehended to apply for asylum. And this was found unconstitutional, and yet it is still occurring in Poland. It is still talked about. It is still kind of the, not the goal necessarily, but the... The, the sentiment towards accepting migrants and refugees crossing from quote-unquote unconventional patterns. And if you want to hear me talk even more about the whole unconventional path kind of discussion, you can listen to my episodes with Cassandra from Soul Food and Miriam and Hira from Our World 2. And now we try to unpack the reason for the double standard. There are many reasons why people migrate, and there are many reasons why this double standard exists. One reason, cited primarily for French President Emmanuel Macron, is pandering to the political right. Many French citizens, after Macron's statement about protecting France from migration, believed he was pandering to the far-right population of France in anticipation for the next presidential election. If he starts, you know, touting the beliefs of the vocal minority, he will get the votes, Um, especially because people often criticize Macron, so he tries to do what he can to get that approval. Another reason is simply xenophobia and racism. For France and Poland, Ukraine is far more similar culturally to their own populations and cultures and society than Afghanistan, thus making people sympathize with their struggles more easily. And once again, if you want to hear more about that, I have an episode on Ukraine, I have an episode on Afghanistan, and the episode with the um, with Miriam and Hira from Our World 2, we talk a lot about the reception of Ukrainian refugees versus Afghan refugees because we were recording on the day that Russia started bombing Ukraine. So if you want like a real direct kind of uh, sentiment and like perspective on what was happening, I highly recommend that episode. But Continuing, many politicians have claimed they will rise to the challenge of accepting Ukrainian refugees and create special laws to help those populations and in the same breath make moves like Poland, fortifying borders against Middle Eastern refugees and even punishing citizens who help refugees with eight-year prison sentences. What makes these blatantly xenophobic and racist is that some African and South Asian students from Ukraine are facing harassment, violence, and discrimination, only furthering the fact that these European countries help those who look and act like themselves. These African and South Asian students who are living in Ukraine, who are also seeking refuge and asylum, will be treated far differently than their white Ukrainian colleagues or friends. To move to a more literary take on these events, to kind of distance ourselves from news and statistics, because I feel like I always cling to those when I'm not interviewing someone, and I like to kind of turn towards um, narratives more often than not, Um, I turn us towards Morris Farhi's 2006 essay, All History is the History of Migration. Highly recommend reading. In this essay, he cites a man he calls Tio in referencing the concept of insabiati, which, once again, sorry, my Italian isn't very good either. I'm a big French girl. Um, But insabiati kind of 
translates, as he says, to caught in the sand. He writes that Tio, quote, said we were creatures facing death with a much greater awareness of the frailty of life and thus with an enhanced compulsion to survive. Creatures that could not or did not get the chance to live in their native matrix and consequently desperately sought to make a new life in unknown lands and under harsh conditions. Creatures that often became fodder for the people in their new environments, thus providing the hosts with good nourishment. All that to say that migrants and refugees are insabiates, which I'm assuming is the plural. They are people who did not have the chance or could not have the chance to live in their native matrix, as Farhi calls it, and despite adversity, continue to live and continue to try. However, these same people who take on these challenges, the same people who are much more aware of the dangers and the horrors of life and survival, are the same people used by politicians, by countries to provide good nourishment. Now, you may be wondering what this good nourishment means and what the good nourishment could be that migrants and refugees provide to their host countries. And thankfully, Fahri has an answer. He writes, quote, the other, in this case, migrants and refugees, can be the savior we revere, though seldom in their lifetime, or the scapegoat we require, end quote. What I think is so compelling about what Farhi says here is that he essentially outlines the double standard of migration. If all history is the history of migration, shouldn't all people who migrate be equal? In an ideal world, yes, but if we follow what Farhi remarks, it is seldom the case. Despite migrants and refugees all going through unfathomable circumstances that cannot be compared, they are still sorted into categories by the host country, savior or scapegoat. You are either a model minority, the ones that get written about in the news for saving babies from falling windows, a la the story in Paris, which if you don't know that, look that up, or used as fodder to prove why countries should have stricter borders. You are either the brave citizen fighting against another country, desperately trying to find a better life for yourself and for your family, desperately seeking to return to your homeland after the war, or You are someone who is trying to create crime, human trafficking, violence in a new country because you don't stay in yours any longer. Farhi himself even mentions this sense of a double standard more explicitly in saying that, quote, there is a duality in every human endeavor. The same is true of history of migration. It has two selves, end quote. And I love that quote. I love that quote because a lot of the times you hear that like people like to categorize things, people like to put things in boxes. And I feel like having that kind of, um, there's a duality in every human endeavor just goes on to further emphasize like how much we love a binary in society. We love the people that we welcome with open arms and we hate the people that pose a threat to us. There is no in between. But Fahi goes on to say how the first side of the duality of migration glorifies war, conquests, and colonization. It's the belief that moving to another unknown land is brave and courageous, and fighting for your right to be there is even more heroic. However, on the other side, the second side of the duality, there lies the people who are forgotten by history with a capital H, regardless of their ability to live and adapt despite hardships. These people are not glorified in the same way colonizers and war quote-unquote heroes are, because they did not move to another unknown land for quote-unquote a greater cause, a cause approved by the majority. To look at why there is this double standard, this duality in the first place, from a standpoint that does not involve the news or statistics, Farhi writes that the other is decided by a group. 
For France and Poland, they are deciding whether consciously or unconsciously, that can be debated for days, if not years, that refugees from Afghanistan are too much of an other to accept, whereas Ukrainian refugees are not quite an other, more a distant neighbor of their own kind. These biases and prejudices don't come from nowhere, as we've seen in the media response citing some of the sentiments towards Afghan refugees versus Ukrainian refugees, and they are only reinforced more and more with the media representation and prejudices that pass down generations. While it is no stretch of the imagination that these prejudices are what informs people into falling into the binary of believing migrants and refugees are either saviors or scapegoats, Farhi does have additional comments supporting it. He writes, the other's features can be drawn so that they reflect the host society's most problematic instincts, fears, and prejudices. Once again, phenomenal quote. Highly recommend reading this essay. Just very eye-opening, very poetic. The notion of the scapegoat is not created from the narratives from the migrant's home country. They are created by the hosts. The scapegoat concept only works in creating fear and creating the desire for more selective migration because the host country makes the migrants trying to find a better life to get out of being stuck in the sand out to be the villains. They are made to be the thing the country fears most. For example, in an article dated July 20th, 2022, so this year, not, I know it's December now, but not that long ago, it's said that the Commission Nationale Consultative des Droits de l'Homme, or the CNCDH, a group that monitors France's, it's a French group, if you couldn't tell by the name, um, it's a group that monitors France's respective human rights, has, quote, hit the alarm button in its annual report on the fight against racism, anti-Semitism, and xenophobia. The institution underlined the continued prevalence of discriminatory behaviors on the basis of real or assumed background, religion, or skin color, end quote. These prejudices aren't based in the culture of the other, rather reflecting France's real fear of people who simply aren't what they deem French, or close enough to it. The article continues to state that the pandemic has allowed a breeding ground for anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and the 2022 presidential campaign furthering a new obsession with migration and security issues. Now, the Jewish population certainly aren't touting their responsibility for the pandemic, um, obviously, literally not anyone's fault, certainly not the Jewish population. So it makes you wonder where these theories are coming from and why they're gaining popularity. Of course, this is an ironic and rhetorical question, as it just goes to further support what Farhi described. The host countries attach what they fear to the other as a means of getting rid of them, as a means of having an excuse to say no at the border. If we can blame Afghan refugees for an uptick in violence in France, then we have a reason to say no, that is not racism, even though it stems from racism. Lastly, I leave you with this harrowing statistic, because if I had to read it, you have to read it too. Uh, and this just further emphasizes what Farhi was talking about. That same article that I was citing um, that cites France's difficulty of breaking out of their racism anti-Semitism and xenophobia, states that in the CNCDH's report, quote, flagship index of tolerance of minorities, which ranges from zero absolute intolerance to 100 absolute tolerance, indicates that the level has never reached such a high level and is now sitting at 68, which is two points higher than in 2019 and three points higher than the peak of 2017 and 2009, end quote. 
it just continues to be proven and contrary to the narratives being told around migration those that fall under the side the first side of duality the brave people facing war directly and trying to find better lives for their families that the reality of migration is subject to the loudest voices telling it when driving through your own neighborhood you may see signs claiming we stand with ukraine or even the ukrainian flags flying in people's yards and yet the same treatment is never it's never existed for afghanistan and i don't think that refugees should be pitted against each other. I don't, and if, once again, not to continue to plug my own stuff, but if you want to hear about that, the episode with Miriam and Hira, Our World 2, we talk a lot about that. These people have gone through things that are unimaginable, like unfathomable circumstances where they are facing death and survival and fear constantly, and they just want security, which people always say, is a human right to be secure and safe in your home. And these people don't have that. So they shouldn't be pitted against each other. There shouldn't be this double standard where we glorify one and condemn another. And while there are many consequences for this double standard, one that many people don't seem to cite is that refugees should never be pitted against one another. Ukrainian refugees are no less valid than Afghanistan refugees and vice versa. Afghanistan refugees are no less valid than Ukrainian refugees. And yet governments... And the average person really treat one with validity over another. Rather than focusing on how we can allow only the people who look the most like us, that act the most like us, into our countries, perhaps we should turn our gaze towards ways of eliminating the problem of why people need to migrate and why people need to seek asylum rather than add to it. Because all this is doing is creating more problems, more instability, more insecurity, more hatred for people who do not deserve it. So that was kind of a look at the double standard of migration. I know, like I said, this could go on forever, but unfortunately I'm just one woman. Um, And so I just hope that you pulled something away from it and I hope that maybe going forward when you see the news and the media, you think a little bit differently about the narratives being told in those formats and think more about the actual people experiencing them. Um, And as always, I want to give a thank you to Dylan Ashton, my wonderful um, assistant producer. And also, I would love to give a special thank you to Dr. Jan Musikamp, who was my professor for a mobility and migration seminar this semester, um, who kindly let me do this as part of my final. Um, And I would love to give a special shout out to everyone in that class because it has been extremely eye-opening um and it just reveals more and more how complicated of an issue this is and how people kind of talk about a lot of things around the problems and not really the actual problems themselves and where they come from so thank you uh dr musicamp thank you jan um for providing a space for people to have these conversations and providing Um, the resources for people to understand that if we don't look at the circumstances around these events, if we don't look at the history, we will never understand how we can better the systems that we are living in. We will just continue to perpetually make them worse. And uh, I don't want that. No one should want that. So thank you for creating that space for all of us. Um, And I left all the sources down below. I highly recommend 
that um, essay that I was citing by Morris Farhi, All History is the History of Migration. Um, and I will also leave some of the books that we read in that seminar in the description below because I think that you can learn a lot from them as well. So I hope you, as always, pulled something from this episode that you can take forth into your lives. Um, and I will see you guys next time. Um, audibly, of course. And thanks for listening.